following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 25, Managing Multiple Aircraft System Failures, Flying the Bonanza, Gusty Wind Go-Arounds, and more coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Welcome to episode 25 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm your host, Len Costa, and joining me on the show today, as always, are the usual group of aviation goonies. Hey. Start- <laughs> I think you're the only one who ever objects to my, <laughs> to my lovable insults. I know. I got a little... Smile machine. and nod. Smile and nod. <laughs> I've got something right here that just pokes me in the ribs so that I'll say, hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Starting first with Carl Valeri. Carl, how's everything going today? Oh, it's wonderful just sitting here in, in sunny Florida watching the uh, mallard ducks take off and land in the pond in front of me and uh, have a nice little low sitting off the uh, coast here and see if that develops into anything exciting. Hopefully not. Nature seaplane. Yes, nature seaplane. It's a wonderful <laughs> thing. Oh, wonderful. And uh, also with us tonight is, or today, is Victoria Newville. How are you today? I'm a little upset. Oh, oh. let's hear it. Uh-oh. My laptop's hard drive is going, and it's a beautiful day out, so I'd rather be like out on the deck or in the sunroom, but instead, I'm inside talking to you people, because I can't bring my laptop outside. Okay, Sorry. show's over. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I, I'm missing the correlation. Why won't it work outside? Well, I'm on the PC. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're on the desk. Oh. Mid-podcast, and you guys don't want to lose me. Bummer. Oh, wait, no way. Bummer. Well, talk to me offline. We'll figure out a new hard drive, huh? <laughs> All right. Uh, and uh, Rick Felty is also yes, here with us today. Rick, how's everything? Present here. Uh, good. Uh, I'm growing grass in the backyard, which is very exciting. It's that and time that of year. Translates to uh, I put grass seed down, and it is actually raining now, so it's actually working. Yeah, so, so we little, haven't had enough rain here in New England this week. Little, no, a little murky now, and that's been great for the grass. So it's very cool. Wonderful, and. Uh, uh, again, like I said, I'm your host, Len Costa, and I'm joining you guys from the official world headquarters back in New Hampshire. My travels are done for this time being, and uh, we are all back together here. Actually, everybody's home today. Nobody's on the road. Yay. It's a wonderful thing. Isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes it's nice to just be home. Seven weeks Amen. on the road is a little too long for me. Heck, I'm yeah. not flying this weekend. Well, good for you. Get Ooh. out of town, girl. It's time yeah. for you to get out. Frederick don't want you no more. <laughs> Let's do the pre-flight. A couple of quick announcements, like I've been doing a couple in the, in the previous shows. Folks interested in picking up some of the Stuck Mike Avcash swag, our T-shirts, our coffee mugs, buttons, all that kind of goodness, go to stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash buy, and you can pick up those items there. Also like to thank our recent uh, sponsors, and or not sponsors, but donors at the podcast um if you are interested uh, the podcast is a listener supported show the if the money that we get from you guys goes towards the bandwidth and file hosting 
If you're interested in sending a donation for uh, you know whatever amount, a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, whatever you feel is necessary, stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash support. Once again, thank you to our most recent donors. Apparently, I didn't mute my iPhone because that's dinging in the background, so we'll fix oh, that sorry, problem. I, I wasn't supposed to call you right then? <laughs> sorry. I'll, I'll Who's te- who could be texting me at a time like this? <laughs> okay. Um, so that's it for announcements today. Actually, there was one. What was the other one? Oh, I wanted to ask Victoria. In one of the previous episodes, we talked about the um, the Frederick Tower opening. Yeah. Tell us, oh. Give us a quick recap on how that's been going. I have no idea. I haven't been there. You Are you <laughs> telling me that you didn't end up being the first one in line for takeoff? No, Bob ended up having to work out of town, and I was like, maybe I can do it. But the night before, I had the worst stomach ache in the world, and I said, no way in hell am I getting up that early because I was not feeling good at all. Sure. So it didn't happen, but we're going to test it out this weekend. Very cool. good. I know live, I think live ATC has a hook, hook to that. They do, right? yeah. I noticed that. They were quick Just to get great. a feed down there. Listen so for me over the that. airwaves. Then. We will. We will surely do that. Uh, seven, <laughs> three. Well, I won't say it over the air, but I remember. Yeah, yeah well, it depends if we take the Cessna, too. So you don't know oh, that that's one. right. Let stalker. us know. No. Yeah. <laughs> stalker. I've flown Bob's plane. I should know the tail number. As I recall, you didn't feel great for some of that flight. <laughs> <laughs> As I recall, there's a lot yeah, more to that story. Funny. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. <laughs> a lot more to story than the video will ever tell. Thank you very much. I always feel great in that airplane. Mm. Well, I'm glad. That's good. All right. So we have uh, some fun stuff to share with you guys today on the show. Now entering cruise flight. Carl, did you want to go first? Or, yeah, why don't we just go ahead with Carl and. Uh, See, where did I put your information? Carl, tell us. Can I put fun stuff first? You can do, you know, like an experience I just had. This podcast is not about fun. Did you fall off your chair again? No, no, God, I tell you. I had, well, I I actually was visiting, uh, I I think I told you that the Dulles Airport, I was there for a long time. Oh, that's right. And I had the coolest experience. I actually put some pictures out on Facebook. I was there the day before they were going to take the Enterprise up to New York. And I went down to the Air and Space Museum, the Udvar Hazi Center, right there at Dulles Airport. And I actually got to walk around and see the, the shuttle Discovery as they were working on it to place it down on the ground. And took some pictures and, and hung out. And there's all sorts of aviation geeks hanging out there. And, wow. of course, they just started talking. And there's one gentleman I sat next to or stood next to and, and – uh, he had all this information about every exhibit there. And I said, wow, you know so much. How did you learn all this? And he said, well, you know, I was actually, I, I live eight miles from here. I used to be an air traffic controller here. And so he had some amazing stories about, about the shuttle and about everything, other things that have flown in there. But the coolest thing that happened is that I'm, I'm taxing out. We were delayed so much that the, the following day we got delayed so much that it was the morning, the next morning by the time we departed, and I got to taxi next to the 747 with the Enterprise on top. And wow. uh, unfortunately, weren't able to get a, get a picture because I was kind of busy. But the, uh, the, 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 probably the neatest experience I'll, I'll ever have, and I didn't tell you this, is that I'm going down the runway. We're taking off. And as I'm rotating, I look to my left, and there's the 
Enterprise right out my left window as I'm rotating <laughs> and taking off. That was the, the coolest thing I've, I've seen in a oh, while. They, they were flying in formation with you. That's cute. Yeah, somewhere. Oh, yeah. Wow. They were parked there. That's pretty like, cool. Yeah. Oh, that okay. was That was just neat. That was just so exciting to see that. And, and I'm excited to see the Enterprise up in New York or will be excited to see it. I can't wait till they finish it. Does anybody know when that's going to be done? A few months from now or so? When it's actually over there by the Intrepid? I'm not quite familiar. No. But uh, they're going to move it over there and then... And uh, definitely get to go see it. The the only thing is with both the Discovery and the Enterprise, they're not going to let you go inside. They're trying to preserve this as right. an artifact, of course. Right. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So that was pretty exciting. That makes sense. Well, very good. But so, that's not my topic. <laughs> no, no. Well, you wanted to share, you know, we yeah. wanted to... Um... Actually, I had a little discussion I was going to share after, um, you know, one of the things that had happened to me recently uh, is that we had... Um, I was flying with somebody and we had a system failure. And as we continued flying, the system failure was an autopilot failure. And things were really busy and something else failed. And then something else failed again. And then it's like, man, this is, uh, this is crazy. You know, the, the, all these things are breaking. And, and one of the things that we do when we're training usually is we do system failures. But a lot of times we don't do multiple system failures. And right. this, the, what we, you know, for instance, we do an engine failure. Okay, so there's two different things you want to look at when you're looking at system failures. You want to look at a system failure and its associated systems and what's, what's going to affect those systems if your primary system fails. For instance, when an engine fails, there's going to be a couple other things that are going to quit. Say you have a vacuum pump. Well, that's not going to work very well either, okay, unless you have what an, another uh, electronic vacuum pump. Or and another engine. Depends. Or another right. engine, exactly. So that's, and that's something you have to really think about is that when you're, you know, a lot of people think flying, especially these really sophisticated jets, you're sitting there, you're not doing much. But one of the th reasons that you're in there and in the cockpit is to be able to analyze a situation or a failure of a system and say, okay, what is going to be affected by that system failure? So number one, you have to worry about a system failure and its associated systems that will fail. And then the next thing you want to train yourself for is multiple system failures, which we really don't do much and we should and because it does happen on occasion. For instance, a multi uh, two-engine failure, you know, we, that happens occasionally. But what would you do if both engines uh, failed? And there's very, you know, a lot of various scenarios. But let's look at a, an example of the first thing I was talking about where you have a system failure and there's something associated that might be a problem. A good example is say you have, uh, you're flying around in your aircraft and you have a hydraulic system failure and you're flying across the water. So now you have to look at a couple things here. Your hydraulic system failed, which might mean if you're in a retractable uh, gear aircraft that the gear might go down. Did you plan to fly all the way across the water with your gear down? And did you make sure that you had enough gas to make it from the halfway point to your destination with enough gas to land with 45 minutes of reserves? Those type of things. Plus, what other things can fail if that, if that does break? Um, and, and analyze how, you know, the, these systems when they do fail. Another, you know, while you're looking at this too, a lot of folks, I've been, you know, having things break lately. I don't know why. I'm really unlucky lately. And I've been watching people analyze the problems. And a lot of times what happens is there's, there's a couple things. Number one, people will look at something and it doesn't make sense. And, you know, I did a lot of 
programming and data analysis and and uh, debugging of of code when I first started off my career in computers. And one thing I always learned was that if something doesn't make sense, stop trying to make sense of that. Does that make sense? Right. <laughs> so now, instead of look, trying to make sense of it, pull out your checklist and go to that checklist and try to run through that and say, okay, why, why is this, what's going on here? I mean, we, we've seen folks, I'm sure you have too, where something, something fails, they're trying to make sense of it, and they start pushing buttons, pulling switches, et cetera, and sure enough, they did something and made the situation worse. So quit trying to make sense of it. Go to your checklist. In the meantime, you might calm down enough. You might be able to start thinking, and you might be able to understand what that failure is and how it relates to something else. You know, it's interesting. I had a, a system failure oh, a while back. I was climbing out of uh, Newark, and I had a uh, one of my bleeds. We, you know, we use air from the engines for pressurization and also anti-ice, and I had a bleed-over temp. And that bleed-over temp happened at a high altitude. Well, what happens is when they, the, it, there's too much temperature, we have to turn the bleed off because, you know, it might poke a hole in the, in the bleed and then in the tubing there, and you don't want that to happen. So we turn that off. And... Right when I did that, I get five other red messages. And I was, red messages are bad. We have yellow messages and red messages, caution and warnings. Warnings are something that, gosh, you know, this, this could be something that's going to, might really uh, hurt you if you don't jump on it right away. Well, what had happened to me at that point is I started being overwhelmed. And, and as I'm describing this, what I, I started thinking about, it was, you know, with Air France where they had the, uh, you know, they went down over the ocean as they had all these different messages come up. And I had a whole screen of messages. So finally, I said to myself, okay, I need to take a deep breath, which I did. And something, you know, sometimes things that your instructor said 20 years ago come back. And I remember my flight instructor over, uh, he actually runs Century Flight Academy in Marstown. Richard Green told me, you know, planes don't just fall out of the sky. It's usually something we do. So if you start pushing buttons and start going and, and doing things, you're going to probably make the matters worse. So just sit there and wait and think. Take a deep breath. It's exactly what I did. And, and, and uh, you know, I may have lost 30 seconds in that whole scenario where I had the emergency, but I was really able to oh, calm down and think and then say to myself, okay, let's go back. Let's look at all these messages. What's wrong? And due to systems knowledge... And due to the checklist, we were able to get to an unsafer altitude. Well, unfortunately, now, you know, I look back, I was like, gosh, you know, I, I should have been doing that from from the beginning, you know, and, and I didn't. I don't know, Len, have you ever had that scenario where you just kind of got overwhelmed or, or Victoria? Every day. <laughs> Other than outside of flying. Oh. I mean, flying an airplane. <laughs> no. um, well, actually... I'm going to tell a, little, a story later where I got overwhelmed, but oh, that's right. um, in, an, in an emergency, I've been super fortunate in the 15 years of flying that I really haven't had any major emergency. The general, uh, the general failure or equipment failure has either rectified itself or has been something non-essential. Um, but I did want to kind of throw in maybe a little pointer that I've tried to use when, I, when emergencies do happen. And somebody once told me this. Is to help yourself, like not get distracted by stuff that's not important. Is like once, if you're experiencing an emergency or a failure or something, hack your timer, start your timer, and make sure that you can keep track of how long you've been in said specific state. Especially if it's, for instance, like an engine failure or something else, you don't want to be 
running, uh, you know, an aircraft and run out of gas because you've got uh, you haven't used the crossfeed or something like that. So that was just a little a little tip that I try to do every time something abnormal happens is just start my timer so I can keep track of what's going on. That's a that's a great point, Len. Yeah. It's funny because I, I guess every time something happens, I always start a timer. And, I, and you know, I, I forgot to mention that. that. That's a great point because almost everything that you do, especially in an aircraft with some complex systems, has a time limit on it. Uh, and even in, say, a, a warrior or whatever, you know, you, you start the time and you lost your, you know, you can't, uh, you're losing, you know, fuel in one tank and you got to figure out how mm-hmm. much fuel you have in the other tank. Start your timer because you know how much you have left. That type of thing. You know, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, and, and another example of why that, like, there was a, uh, of the Piper 6X I've talked about earlier on previous shows that I used to fly. If there was an electronic failure, you know, the, we had a, we had a, a backup attitude indicator and it was battery powered, but it only gave you an hour worth of you know worth of time so if you've lost your electrical system and a half an hour has gone by and you're not paying attention to what you know and you don't realize that you've only got 30 minutes left you think you got an hour left on this attitude indicator you may you may wander on a little far beyond your uh, you know beyond the time that you you could have a, a safe instrument you know safe use of this instrument so there's just a lot of good reasons to just start that timer and keep track of what's going on because you get distracted moving around doing checklists and communicating and trying to trying to fix a problem and then all of a sudden you have no idea how much time has elapsed. And it, it goes uh, quickly too. You know, you're sitting there trying to work something and it's like, wow. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a great point is, is start that timer, you know, hack that timer there because yeah. a lot of people don't remember that. Plus even if you're on a cross country too and you get lost. Start yeah, timer. Right. get lost or you're in mountainous terrain. You don't want to go wandering off on some obscure path for 20 minutes that could put you in, you know, into some terrain either. So there's just a lot of, a lot of good merits for it. Oh sure, sure. And Rick, you were going to say something about that, the timer. No, no, no. I just, I, I just thought it made it's, it makes sense. I would not have thought about it. I mean, we would, you know, uh, low wing planes. We often do the timer for tank switching. Right. And I know certainly fuel fuel management. A lot of people use timers for that to double check where they're at and make sure they remember, especially for that, you know, for low wing planes. But so when you said it, I went, Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. It forces you to sort of get on the clock and go, how long have I been worrying about this? Or sure. what does this mean in the big picture of this flight? So that's very cool. Yeah. And like with the plane you fly a lot, uh, Rick, it's the Cirrus. Now you can't yeah. go out of balance, right? And, uh, more than say 10 pounds, I think it is, or 10 gallons. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, hmm, interesting. I don't know that I know that equation. It it was always just a uh, kind of a half hour switch. Okay. Because so, I, I was told that in the Cirrus. Now I don't know enough about the Cirrus. Maybe the twenty two may be different. You know, because you yeah. flew a twenty two. Okay, I see. All right. So and maybe then, the speed, maybe, maybe the faster there. plane. Uh, yeah. But if you know your fuel flow and you lose your your gauges right. that tell you how much you have in the tank, you right. can figure it out right there. Yeah, exactly. And, Based uh, on time, sure. And, and, you know, it's, it's funny how it, something fails all the time. You know, something small usually it will fail. And if you fly a lot, you're going to have something fail. And, and using that timer is a great idea mm-hmm. because of that. But, uh, but getting back to, to what I was talking about as far as the, uh, the systems failures and, and starting your time, we talked about that. The other thing, too, is, is uh, and the first officer I was flying with reminded me, he said, hey, listen, you know, we just lost uh, some air. He says, why don't we start up, you know, the APU and that's the auxiliary power unit and that actually provides air and electricity so that we can actually use that if we need it. 
It's like, yeah, that's that's a good idea. We'll we'll do that. We we can't use that air in the aircraft uh, that we're flying now to de-ice the aircraft, but uh, for the wing de-ice. But you know, we could use it maybe if we lose the other one. And of course, we're thinking, you know, what are the chances of losing the other pack? Of course, that's not going to happen. Well, about twenty minutes later, on our way <laughs> diverting, we sure enough get a bleed over temp on the second engine. And uh, which they say is the chances of that happening are like one in a million. And I was like, oh, great. And luckily, since we had the APU up and running, you know, when we, we take that air, like I said, for anti-ice and we take the air for pressurization, well, what happened? We lost our pressurization, mm-hmm. right? Well, of course, it doesn't depressurize right away if you understand the system. And, and that's why you shouldn't get too nervous there either because it's, it's like a plug. and It's a valve that we open and close to keep the pressurization consistent. So I was like, okay, this is cool. So we, we stayed pressurized and all. But the downside is now we have no anti-ice at all. You know, usually on a system where you lose a partial system on the anti-ice, you can fly at a lower altitude because the engine's running a little bit stronger and hotter so that we can actually burn that, that ice off. Well, here we go. We're at that lower altitude. We're able to produce more air, but now we can't use the air from the bleed. So what happens? We go into icing again. And, ha, ah, now we're flying around in ice with no anti-ice systems. Mm-hmm. So now we've got another issue. So that that was and, and again with the timing thing, we we started a timer and we're like, gosh, what you know, what are we gonna time now? It's like, let's just get this thing on the ground. And uh, and that's what we did. So now, you know, going back to that multiple systems failures, um, we don't really we don't look at that enough. And one thing that I did after this incident is I went back into my manuals and my emergency procedures and I said, okay, what would happen if I lost this? What would happen if I lost that? For instance, what would happen if I, I lost an engine? Well, an engine, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my, my hydraulic pumps. Ah, oh, wait a minute, I have an electronic, uh, you know, electric hydraulic pump that can back that up. What if I lost hydraulic fluid? And, and you can really get distracted by all these multiple, multiple systems failures unless you really know how those systems affect your airplane. And just you know, another quick example of a multiple system failure that has nothing to do with each other is um, you know, I'm flying along one day down to Asheville and I lose an airspeed indicator. And of course, we have two more in the aircraft that we fly, so we can use the ones on the other side. Well, it was actually an air data computer which computes the, the airspeed. And then at the same time, we also get a, a warning on our hydraulic system that we have a low hydraulic system. Now, what, what's happening here is we're saying to ourselves, what do we concentrate on first? Of course, fly the plane, aviate, navigate, and communicate. That's how we, we like to prioritize things. And then we try to figure out what's the most important thing right now. Well, obviously, we have two other uh, systems that we can work on for actually controlling the attitude and airspeed, so we're not too worried there. But now we've got to really think about this hydraulics because now... What's going to happen if we lose that hydraulic fluid altogether? Oh, now we have to fly at a slower speed. Why? Because the gear doors are going to come down. They're not going to be able to because they're held up by pressurization. Again, going back to that systems knowledge. So really the, what I was looking at trying to, to convey here is that you know, when we have uh, our systems failures, we have to look at two things. We have to look at the associated systems and, and their failures, and we really should try to study our airplane and know, have a, a really in-depth knowledge about every system in that plane and how that system failure will affect other things. Like if the engine quits, what's it going to affect? Well, we're not going to have any more electricity, et cetera. 
And then, you know, also look at multiple system failures and how to deal with that, how to prioritize. And that's where we go to, you know, this basically what we just talked about here was scenario-based training. We go and we go through scenarios and we say, okay, this failed, that failed. And, of course, you want to do that in a training environment. Uh, in a testing environment, they don't normally do that in a multiple system failure. But I think uh, we really need to, to do more training and do more preparing in multiple system failures and prioritizing those system failures. And I just, you know, I was wondering if for, from your experience, all you guys, you know, Victoria and Rick and, and Lynn, what, what type of failures had you gone through during your training as far as not just the normal ones, but uh, your multiple system failures? Go ahead, Victoria. Well, oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really had any system failures besides, you know, the um, sticky note that is put on your uh, instrument when you're training. Well, just fly with me. You'll have something break. Yeah. See, but, um, <laughs> I'm bad luck. You know, I, I, when you were talking about overreacting or, you know, like trying to um, breathe when there's an emergency, something happening, I did have a tire blowout once and I had no idea what was happening. But, you know, you immediately do have to focus on what are you doing? I'm flying an airplane. Okay, let's get this airplane down or let's stay straight and level while we figure out what's going on. And, um, yeah, I think just it's a calm attitude to kind of figure out your situation. You kind of have to step back for a second and just breathe and then solve it. <laughs> How did you know that was the problem, the tire blood? I didn't. Uh -huh. um, I was just about to um, take off speed. And I was just about to pitch up when the aircraft just like veered, like left crazy mad and like kind of tipped. And then I got in the air because of it and kind of just leveled out. And I still had tons of runway left. So I just brought it back down because I was like, that was strange. That can't be good. And uh, <laughs> it veered off to the left again. I was like, all right, this is not good either. Let's pull out the power. Let's just get this airplane stopped. And then once I was stopped, I realized, oh, I'm like at this angle. I'm leaning to the left. Let's, you know, tell the tower. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be moving from this runway anytime soon. And sure enough, I looked out and like the tire was just pieces. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was good. Wow. I mean, that was good to think. You thought quickly and you did the right thing. That was awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's you freak out. But because I did, I was like, what the hell? But then I was like, OK, let's breathe. Let's figure this out. And that was all in a matter of, you know, a few seconds. Mm -hmm. I think I think that's part of your training is, you know, why you do those, um, you know, why the instructor pulls the throttle on you when you're not looking to create that quick reaction just in case something real does happen. Right, right. Well, that's good. And did your instructor, did he do some multiple failures with you or just single system failures with you? Yeah, do you I remember? Think it was always single system. Like, mm -hmm. You know, except for when I went from my instrument training to my commercial training, I remember I kept looking at all the instruments, and he's like, "Look outside." So I did fly with a sectional, sectional chart covering all my instruments, so uh -huh. that could count but, as a failure. But yeah, I was panel failure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, cool, cool. How about you, Rick? I mean, did you? Uh... Oh, I think uh, sing I think it's true. It was it was single failure, um, and not the complexity of okay, this is gone now. If this also goes. What, what have you got? We, and we didn't do, it wasn't a lot of that. And that's, you know, and, and in terms of real world experience, I haven't had any that I could think of that, that were problematic while, you know, while flying a couple, you know, a couple don't take off situations, you know, and then, but I had, you know, I had a great CFI that, that finally got me through my check ride who did a bunch of, you know, pulling things on me and, um, he, you know, he distracted me and pulled the fuse for my flaps, um, in the Cessna and, uh, and I, 
you know, this is when you're, tra- when you're, when you're new, you're not, you're sort of doing stuff that you know to do, but you're not always sure why, and you're not always doing enough to be safe in any situation. So I just got used to throwing the flaps, you know, switch the lever, but I wasn't looking at the flaps moving mm-hmm. and, and, and I, and I, and I could, I wasn't slowing down, you know, and I, okay. And I knew something was, you know, something mm-hmm. wasn't quite right. Uh, why can't I get this thing slowed? And then, and then I, you know, and then I looked and noticed and went, oh, oh. and then I quickly, you know, your head quickly goes through, oh, that's when he pulled the fuse. I remember he asked me to get the hood or whatever. <laughs> um, and, uh, but then, then it's like, okay, I get it. So now it's a, it's a no flap landing and, and we'll do that. So, and that's great. And I, and I wish I'd had more, I wish I'd had more of that, I think now. Um, and I, and I can get it. I can obviously go up there with someone and say, let's, let's practice some stuff. And obviously what you said is true too, which is you can sit with the book and walk through a lot of things you know, even just to get it in your head, you know, studying on the ground. Great. Yeah, I think it's a great idea to do that. And, you know, the, the thing is, though, I, I don't, while you were talking, I just realized I don't want to overstress you should do too many of these multiple system failures because that can really overload somebody. Um, and, and normally, do you, and Rick and Victoria, sure. did you feel that in your training that you would have been overloaded if someone said, hey, you know, we're going to do a couple of different system failures, maybe even giving you a heads up? And see how you do. You know, we're going to fail this one and this one, and see if you even realize it. Yeah, at, some, um, at, the, at at certain points, for sure, early on, and oh, you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's funny how you slowly become more knowledgeable about this, and you slowly get sort of so that you can handle more stuff. So the fire hose isn't quite as intimidating. You know, you're not you're not getting blown away by all the information, and you can then expand out to consider other things. Um, and so early on, it would have been a lot. So right. at some point though, like now I think the flying part, you know, I, I could go off and do, I could do that with someone and, you know, you're not going to do an hour of it cause that's pretty, it pulls a lot on you, you know, and you, or you might do an hour of it and then that's enough. You know, it's like a lesson you can, after a certain point of, of, t- of touch and goes, you need to stop. But I think it would be good to do. I yeah. think I would be angry and frustrated at first. Like, <laughs> why are you throwing right. all this at me? But in the end, Think of how appreciative you would be sure. if you had that knowledge and something did happen. Right. So it sounds like what you're saying is it's best, you know, once you're at that point, you have that, that consistency of, of flying and, and that experience. That's when you want to start seeing it, not in the beginning. That's too overwhelming, which, which makes sense. Yeah. And that's normally yeah. what well, you do. Because anyway. you're barely tracking the instrument that they just failed anyway. Right. I mean, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's enough to just be taking all that in and holding a tight turn, you know, a steep turn. Right. Yeah. You, you know, and there's there's one more thing that I and this is an opinion. Um, you know, in the airlines, we're we're going through all these. Uh, well, you know, Congress is looking at passing certain laws for uh, uh, for training and backgrounds and and trying to see if we can make things safer, especially on the regional side. Um, do you think that in our testing, and I'm just asking the opinion, and love to hear from our listeners during our testing, we are normally only given a single system failure uh, during our testing. Uh, during our training, we're given multiple. And not that often, but we are given multiple. Do you think that we should be tested on multiple system failures? I'm just throwing that question out there if you want to answer that or not. Hmm. Mm, yeah, it's a thought. It's food hmm. for thought. And, and, you know, in my opinion, uh, I think in training, yes, we should do it. That's different. Uh, than in a scenario where you're being uh, tested on something because there's, um, especially with the airlines, they're going to this new, uh, or most airlines are going to the AQP, uh, Advanced Qualification Program, 
where you are basically trained to proficiency instead of having a specific check ride. For instance, say you went for your instrument. You have your private, now you're going for your instrument. And now we're thinking, oh, wait a minute, during this instrument, we do instrument failures, but now we're going to do multiple failures. And it would be that type of scenario. I personally think it's not a great idea to do that during a testing scenario, but I'd like to, I would love to hear from listeners and, and other people's opinions on this. Well, you know, for, I'll just throw it for me, you know, if, if, if the private, you know, because my only experience is private pilots uh, license testing. And, and if in that environment, it, I was tested to a standard of multiple, you know, overlapping failures. I, I, you know, that would have been a lot, but, but also those flights, if they're good and if they're with a good examiner, um, they're learning experiences. And, and there's a lot of cool stuff that just happens when you talk about things. So I would say that one scenario would be to talk, talk about it, even if it's not tested to a point, right. you know, make sure it's covered, make sure it's just Put it on your radar that there's more to there's more to know here, and you may not know this. I mean, there's a couple of things he showed me in my thing that I didn't know at the time, and, I, and they weren't crucial. But um, little like he asked me what the, there's a shock damper on the front of the on the nose wheel on the Cessna, <clears throat> and I didn't know what that was, and it, I didn't need to know what that was really. Although it was kind of and he you know we I remember that's when I learned it was when he asked me what it was, <laughs> and 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 you know and I yeah I freaked out that's for a cool. moment. I went oh. And when, no. and when the nose wheel is shaking, it's shaking yourself off during takeoff and landing. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. So now I know. So anyway, I'm just saying, I guess there's a way to do, maybe to, to include it as a part of what the examiners do, but probably not. I don't, I think it'd be intense to put it in as a test mm -hmm. at that level, maybe in other levels. I don't know, but I can mm -hmm. imagine the instrument, the instrument check ride to also throw in, you know, too many failures. I don't know. They Do they, or do they? Or just yeah, they, they throw in some. To some yeah, but, but not at but not the same time. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Well, you know yeah. they're happening too. You see this post-it go across. The, <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> I I want to see like if I notice the flag. You know. Right. You know, there's a little flag that goes on your instrument when it's not working, like on the VOR or whatever. Like, where's will I notice that flag? Because I'm sure. so busy concentrating on everything else. Yeah. Right. That's going to sort of depend too on the type of aircraft you're training in. You know. If it's a glass cockpit or steam gauge or what your instructor or, or examiner is able to actually fail on you or, yeah. you know, sneak by you, if you will. If it's if it's glass, you know, you may not see a flag unless they pull a circuit breaker or they cover the whole thing, like you say, with a post-it. No, that becomes obvious. But not, all, you know, it, it sort of depends on the aircraft. I know I sure. flew um, an R-22 the other day. And I don't know why, but they had the, I think because the aircraft is so shaky, they had the attitude indicator pulled. Sure. And, um... Yeah. I couldn't help but keep looking at it, to, you know, <laughs> and he's like, um, hello, where's your instrument training? There was a flag there. And I was like, oh, darn, you know, every time I just kept looking at it, trying to see if that's like the proper angle to hold. And yeah, so I definitely need my post-it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that brings up just another quick point is if you do have an, you know, some sort of system or instrument failure, you can also become disoriented and distracted by looking, you know, you, you, you focus on this instrument. You're like, say, for instance, you were talking about that attitude indicator and it's failed, you know, the gyros tumbled and it's showing a bank and you're looking outside and you're not feeling or seeing that sensation. You can sometimes become disoriented in an actual emergency or failure just by focusing on, you know, the instrument or the indication that has given you an erroneous reading. So you also have to be careful to be aware of it but then omit it from your scan or forget that it's even happening or, 
you know, if you personally have a way to cover it up with something from your flight bag or whatever, get it out of your line of sight so it doesn't cause you any other distractions. Sure. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a good idea. They, and, and, you know, as far as all these going back to this topic, just finish up real quick, is that multiple system failures, and, and I'm going to, I don't, uh, I want to make sure I don't get any hate mail here, that I, I think it's great for training and they should do it. And, but as far as testing is concerned, I think that you should have checked this off as a, in your box on the way there, because when you're testing somebody, there's another thing you have to, uh, you know, worry about is that you need to, worry about somebody being nervous so you got to play that into that whole scenario mm-hmm. during the test so that's going to going to kind of play into that so yeah but for uh, sure. but yeah that it's uh, I'd like to hear people's opinions on that one that's for sure cool very cool but, uh, yeah well I had mentioned a little bit earlier when you were talking about some other things becoming disoriented in an airplane I got a little bit of a story for flying in a new aircraft that I've never flown in before a $100 hamburger run and Hey, can I interrupt a bit? Yeah. Just say that. So I know. So I'm. I know you're doing this flight because I think you told me, and and I'm in New England as well as you are for this flight day you're talking about. And I was like, kind of moving through my day, going, "Wow, sure, I'm glad I'm not flying." (laughs) And uh, (laughs) well, I'm up there getting bounced around. (laughs) So well, no. Now you can tell your story, but it was a day where I had thought, well, not not for me today. This wouldn't have been a day for me. (laughs) No, no. Go ahead. So so now that you've set the stage and everybody's like, oh, that guy, that guy Len doesn't make very good aeronautical decisions. No, no, no. You're it's way different. We have way different experience levels. For me, it would have been a lot. Well, the uh, the the short version, just to get everybody up to speed, is I was on a flight from Los Angeles out. Excuse me. Correction from Boston to Los Angeles, and my seatmate. was using his iPad before flight, and somehow we got on a discussion of aviation things. I may or may not have been uniform. I can't precisely remember. But we got on a discussion of aviation things. Turns out the gentleman is a you know an aircraft owner, flies for uh, flies for fun, but he has decided uh, you know to pursue different ratings and certificates and all that. And if I remember correctly, I believe he had all the way up to his ATP. Now, this is a guy who does not fly professionally. He just enjoys the pursuit of flying and obtaining new ratings for safety and for comfort in the airplane. And um, turns out he owns this Bonanza, right? So we're talking, and he's telling me how he's looking at going on this trip to Greenland, and we start talking about filming and GoPro cameras. And I like, I, I leaned over this guy and was like, you know what, buddy? You couldn't have picked a better – you couldn't have had a better day – for a seatmate, let me tell you about my website and my podcast and the and the GoPro. You know, we just had this great conversation. So at the end of the, the end of the flight, he's like, "Well, here's my business card. When you make it back out to New England, give me a call. We'll go up in the Bonanza." I'm like, "Well, that's awesome." So I've never, you know, I've never been in a Bonanza. So a few things were going on here. First of all, Rick, one of the reasons I decided that it wasn't that big of a deal to me is not only, you know, my level of comfort and experience mm-hmm. flying, but he wasn't just necessarily a private pilot with a few hundred hours right. in, in a, you know, in a complex high performance aircraft. He's got a lot of time in this airplane. He's flown yeah. it for, from what I know, I think like the better part of seven to 12 years or so he's been flying right. this Bonanza. So, you know, you, you get to 
obviously so like evaluating him sort of if you will in my own yeah. mind is this somebody i'm comfortable with in this scenario and and, and just so we were clear it was just it was wind it was a, yeah it was yeah a, correct it was, it was just a good a, healthy wind but everything else sure. was gorgeous yeah and it wasn't too i mean it was in the mid-20s gusting in the mid-20s and it wasn't huh. too absolutely terrible um it was a bumpy ride but i think that was this is not me talking bad or trash about bonanzas, but I think it had partly to do with the aircraft. The bonanza that I was in, mm-hmm. I think, had a little bit of a shorter wing, and so my experience in aircraft that have you know shorter wings, they tend to have a lot more yawing when it's turbulent outside, and so you're just kind of getting tossed around a lot. But this happened to me a lot when I flew in a Piper Lance. That thing had a stubby wing, and it was just kind of it was a kind of a brutal airplane when you were in turbulence. So. Uh, we got, you know, I got in contact with this guy and we decided we were going to go up, we we're going to go for a flight, we we're going to go grab some breakfast. And uh, he flew the airplane up to New Hampshire and I met him at the airport and we went flying. So our route of flight was to go from Nashua, New Hampshire, overfly Laconia, which is up in the Lakes region part of New Hampshire, and then head out to Sanford, Maine, where we were going to stop for brunch. Now, the purpose of the flight was actually to show him how to use the GoPro camera in the airplane because he, like I mentioned earlier, he's going on a trip to Greenland and he says to me, he's like, I want to be able to capture the essence of this flight and the icebergs and all this other stuff. So I was like, well, listen, if you fly the, if you come up to New Hampshire, I'll grab all my camera equipment. I'll meet you there. We'll set it up in your airplane. We'll record a flight and you can see it hands on what this is going to be like. So you can make a decision if you want to get this equipment. So that's, that's essentially how this flight sort of panned out. So, the first thing I notice when I get in this Bonanza, now, mind you, the you know I've never flown a Bonanza. I've never sat in a Bonanza. I've flown a, uh, a, um, a Beach Baron, but probably once or twice in my lifetime. I think I have less than four hours in one. So being in a Beechcraft is not something I am familiar with as far as a cockpit layout and whatnot. So the aircraft owner is sitting in the left seat. I'm, of course, sitting in the right seat. So I'm sitting in this brand new airplane I've never been in. I'm feeling sort of out of place, if you will, meaning like I'm not quite familiar with, you know, necessarily where the controls are, meaning um, the throttle, the prop, the mixture. The Bonanza itself is this particularly special aircraft. You don't, gen- like in a Cessna, you know, you'll you'll push the button on the tip of the, um, uh, the throttle or if you're in one of the advanced Cessnas with a prop control, you know, you'll press the button and you'll push the lever forward to advance, right? The, the Bonanza uses one of those vernier controls where you actually twist. Okay, so mm. you'll, twist, uh, you'll twist the control to add the power. You'll twist it to reduce the power. So you're not necessarily pressing the button and pushing and pulling. So there's a few different, you know, little, I would call them nuances, things that I'm not necessarily used to, if you will. And, you know, so I'm sitting right seat. I don't have any instrumentation. I don't, you know, the, the control yoke in that airplane actually covers visually where the throttle, the mixture and the prop control are, and, and also the um, the gear lever. So if you're not, like I said, familiar with the layout of the airplane, you know, I was just kind of disoriented from the get-go as, as far as I'm concerned. I just really wasn't comfortable with the layout for, you know, for sitting in there the first time. So we take off, we head out to Laconia, and we get up to the Laconia region. He's like, all right, I'm going to take the autopilot off. You can fly the airplane. He's like, okay, that sounds cool, you know. So... um we did a little flying around Laconia, around the Lakes region in New Hampshire here, and then we head out to Sanford, Maine. By the way, I'll include in the show notes the video. I, obviously, I talked about we recorded this video for the purposes of a demonstration for him, you know, interested in this camera equipment. 
And uh, so I just put that up on YouTube recently so folks can check that out. Uh, I've got a few comments. I don't know if um, if Rick or Carl or Victoria has seen it yet. Um, but like, like Rick said, he's sort of known what's going on with this flight, so he was been curious to hear about what's going on. Yeah, so I do want to see it. I've not seen it yet. We, um, I cut it down. Well, I cut it down. It was like 50-some-odd minutes. I cut it down to you know mostly the important stuff and the exciting stuff. We're going out to Sanford, Maine, and they... Uh, they have a runway three two and a runway two five. Now we call, uh, we don't call it, but we 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 dial in the um, the ASOS there, and the winds were reporting um, three zero zero at sixteen gust twenty five. And he's like, okay, you know, you're flying. If you want to, you know, take your hand at a landing, that's that's fine. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll I'll give it a shot. So we're going in to Sanford. We're going around the traffic pattern. I'm lining up on final, and like I said, you know, with this this airplane, I'm a little bit disoriented. I'm not quite familiar with where everything is and we're getting bounced around and we're in turbulence and I'm just you know I'm like okay well I'll give it a shot but maybe maybe I'm not 100% comfortable or confident in flying this airplane but you know I'll give it you know give it a try so we're coming down and he's giving me all the instructions about what as far as power settings and configurations and doing a very very good job of keeping me in the loop of you know manipulating this aircraft and we get um, we get to short final, and he's like, "Okay, bring the power out." And as I bring the power out, I'm, um, you know, I'm dipping the left wing, and I'm putting in the rudder correction for for this gusty wind. And what's happening is I'm drift like I'm drifting off center line, and it's not just like a subtle drift, but I'm drifting really fast off center line. And the first thing I think to myself is, "I am not comfortable in this situation." And I take that thr- that throttle, and I just put it forward, Ooh, nice. and I'm like, "I'm going around." Wow. And we start climbing out, and I transfer the controls over to the aircraft owner, and he says to me, he's like, he's like, are you all right? And I was like, yeah. He's like, you didn't like that? And I was like, no, not, not exactly. Mm-hmm. So what had turned out was actually we, had, we were recollecting actually as we came back around the pattern, but on short final what had actually happened was the wind had shifted nearly down runway 25, so it was just about a 70 or 80-degree crosswind, you know, gusting at 25 knots. I mean, this airplane I've never flown in a cockpit I'm not familiar with on a runway that's very narrow. And I just, you know, I, again, like I was saying to myself, I am not comfortable in this current position and I'm getting the hell out of here. And I added that, that power and we climbed out. We Great. came back around and uh, we had a nice little landing there. And then we went in and we had some uh, breakfast. But it got, you know, it got me to thinking after the fact, I was like, you know, Len, kind of kind of proud of myself for actually doing a go around because i can't remember the last time i've i've <laughs> done a self-imposed go around and the reason i say self-imposed is i haven't been in a lot of scenarios where there's something to force me to make a go around every now and then usually at the aviation or the uh, the airline level uh there'll be maybe an aircraft is taking too long they're dawdling on the runway or you're you know the spacing didn't work out and air traffic control will send you on a go around but like for me to make a decision personally to say hey this scenario is not right it's time to go around i can only really think of two times in 15 years where i've done that and one was you know just recently so i was like wow you know i'm really proud of myself i made a good decision there so i wanted to ask my co-host you know t- tell me about um you know a time when you've made a go around, uh, you know, that you decided you weren't comfortable with the situation. Why don't we start with uh, Rick? Well, um, strictly speaking, a go around was probably during, you know, during training or early on um, when, uh, you know, I just, and, and I was proud of myself at that time too, because I think I had a, you know, I had a, a instructor with me and um, it, I, you know, I wasn't, 
it, it wasn't just, it was sort of a, a it, where I was on short, on final, short final was not where I needed to be. Probably too high would be my guess given my, you know, level of training at the time. And there, and so, you know, pretty, pretty clear. This isn't, this isn't going to, I'm not going to be able to make this work well. So, you know, let's go around. And I have, you know, I've made other ones work well and, and it was, it was not a problem. What's kind of cool is that thing, that moment where you add the power, um, you know, and hope, hopefully it responds, but, um, you know, that, that there's, there's a lot of flying you can still do while you're flying straight onto the ground, you know, while you're getting it down to the runway up until the, you know, up until all sorts of points, you can add power and keep, you know, try it again. Like Victoria did a little bit with trying to, you know, correct the tire thing mm -hmm. or, or not knowing what it was. Um, you have a lot of control there. It's kind of in my world, like having a, a car with power that you don't need to use, but it's there when you need it to right. get, you know, to, you know, and so it's, it's a little bit like that moment of, I'm, you know, I still have a lot of options here and in that kind of environment, which is, you know, visual and, mm -hmm. you know, everything else is good. So, mm -hmm. um, I didn't never, I never had a real, um, dangerous, you know, somebody, something weird is going on on the runway or I'm so far out of, you know, whack here, I'm, I'm in trouble and I'm low. Usually I would make the, I, when I've made that call, it's been a little higher. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Although you, actually, I have one. I have one thing. I'm not going to yeah. tell it now, but I, I realized there's a story I've got about flying the um, the uh, Cirrus where I had to, you know, where it, strictly speaking, it wasn't a go around, but I, I didn't complete the landing, so I guess that is a go around. But I'll, I'll save that. That's my <laughs> teaser for the next episode. There you go. Make sure we talk about that in episode 26. <laughs> Good deal, Victoria. Tell us about uh, you know a time you may have done a go around where you uh, you know just weren't comfortable with the situation or something was going wrong. Well, um, I was always taught in my training that go-arounds are nothing to be ashamed of. And I have never been ashamed or, you know, if a landing wasn't looking great, I've never continued on with it because I felt, you know, uncomfortable about it. So I have made many go-arounds. Well, you never really regret doing so, you know? No, because then the, the landing's more comfortable. Mm -hmm. I'm more stress-free. Um, actually the past two times I flew into my uncle's airport, it's a little shorter runway. I trained at 5,000 feet. So I'm always a little high, you know, always a little fast. And, you know, I used to always have enough runway. Uh, my uncle's runway is half the size. And so, you know, there, there was, a um, there's words in my mouth somewhere. Telephone wires. That's what they are. <laughs> There was like telephone poles and wires just before the runway. And so I always make sure to clear those. And then you kind of got to dive bomb the runway. So um, that's a place where I always make a go around because I'll only want to do that if it's perfect because I only have so much runway to do it with. Um, that's pretty much I've never had really a dangerous go around except for, you know, the tower telling me to when an aircraft didn't clear the runway quick enough. Um, things like that, but it's nothing to be ashamed of, you know, as long as you have the fuel, you know, you got the power in there and there's nothing to be ashamed of doing a go around. Sure. Whatever makes you feel safer. Right. Yeah. Like I said earlier, you never really, you never regret doing a go around, but if you take a situation too far and something, uh, you know, something detrimental happens and you're like, crap, I could have gone around and maybe saved that. So yeah. when you can I ask you, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, I did it at my uncle's airport once. Um, I was taking his kids for their first flight. Sure. Once again, I was too high and fast. So I did a go around and he, he yelled at me afterwards. He goes, you didn't tell me you were going to do a flyby. <laughs> I was going to have my camera ready. Oh yeah. So people think you're just, you know, flying oh, sure. by. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> did the guy my excuse. Oh yeah. Yeah. The guy you were flying with, because he asked you, you weren't comfortable with that. Did he 
seem surprised that you weren't comfortable? Um, like I, he couldn't tell what you were, what was happening, or what, or he wasn't picking up on the on the level of. Yeah, I don't think he was picking up on my yeah. level of discomfort, right. and. I don't know if it was, it was a little bit of discomfort and I think it was more disorientation. Like I just wasn't comfortable in that cockpit with that airplane as far as yeah. where the controls were. And I'm sitting right seat in an airplane I've never flown with no instruments in front of me. So I'm looking across the cockpit to these instruments. His airspeed indicator, which is another thing, is not only in knots, but it's also in miles per hour. And so I'm looking at this thing going, oh, crap, which one am I? Am I looking at the inner ring? Am I looking at the outer ring? One of these, I'm too slow. One of these, I'm too fast. It's gusty. I can't, you know, I'm not comfortable. There's just so many things going on, and I'm not sure. I think that's where the disconnect was between him and I, that he just didn't, um, you know, wasn't aware of what was going on in my mind. And uh, and so yeah, when we did the go around, and I said I'm going around. I made the you know the the um, the radio call on traffic said zero five Sierra's going around, and we started climbing out. And I was like, okay, York flight controls. He took the controls, and then he yeah, he, that's what he said to me. He's like, he's like, you okay? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. He's like, you you didn't like that? And I was like, no, <laughs> I I really did. <laughs> so, right. I mean, I gave, I gave it a shot, but. You know, after that, I was like, "Nah, don't don't worry about it. You you've got the time in this airplane. You can, yeah. um, you can fly." How about you, Carl? Tell us about a, a go around. Uh, you know, a self imposed go around, if you will, for something that uh, didn't seem right. Well, as far as self imposed, I actually just had a uh, go around just recently. It was, I wouldn't call it self imposed, but uh, I'll talk about that in just a second. The one that was self imposed though is I was on uh, final behind a heavy aircraft. And I thought we were far enough behind them, but obviously we weren't because within a second we were in a, a banked left turn, about 40-degree bank. And uh, I was like, oh, boy, this is, this is not good. And the other problem is I was about 1,000 feet off the ground. And that, doesn't, that sounds like a lot in a small plane, but if you're trying to maneuver in a larger aircraft, and we were in a jet at the time, uh, this is at work with the airline, and I was like, oh, man, we're pointed in the wrong direction. And what's interesting is we both looked at each other and said, you know, we could probably fix this. And I was like, right when he said the words probably could fix this, I said to myself, wait a minute. No. That's not a word we want to be using right now. And, and we were pretty shook up because we're, we just got rolled really fast. And I said, you know what, just go around. And that's all I did. I just got on the radio and said, we're going around. And mm -hmm. we were a little – it was interesting because we both were a little nervous, I think, because it was such a shock when it happened. I know my adrenaline was kind of pumping at the time. Uh, we didn't even talk to air traffic control because for a few seconds we're like, okay, now we got – oh, okay, let's do the whole go-around procedure. And then we got into it, and I said, "Listen, just ignore the air traffic controller because we've got to we've got to get this thing cleaned up mm. and configured, and just and take a deep breath, and then we'll get back with them." And then we got back to them, and uh, and they they were kind of laughing. I said, "Yeah," I said, "As we we got a little shook up here," and he's like, "Yeah, I I, I guess that since you guys weren't talking to us." <laughs> um, but but you know it's interesting. <laughs> Because I, I'm sitting there, like he could tell in my voice. Because here I am, just talking. Okay, you're clear to land. Thanks, clear to land. Blah blah blah. And then all of a sudden, we're like a real high pitch. We're going around. <laughs> you know, he's, yeah. And he figured, okay. And then finally, he kept saying to us, "Is there a problem? Do you need help?" And once you tell him, "No, there's no problem. We just hit somebody's wake." Then they're like, "Oh, okay. Sure. We just like to try it again." Yeah. Uh, but what's interesting is. I had a recent go around where we probably should have made the decision to go around, but it was made for us. And um, I was landing in Cleveland, and a 757 ahead of us had a 20 knot wind shear uh, performance increasing. In other words, an increase in their uh, wind airspeed of 20 knots. 
And I was like, hmm, a 757, that's a lot heavier than me. Sure. And, and that's uh, something I probably should go around for. And again, here we are with that probably again. And and sure enough, within, oh, it was about 30 seconds later, I get a wind shear warning. And, uh, you know, of course, our procedures are such that we have to go around. And uh, I said to myself, you know, we probably should have made this decision earlier because when we put the power forward, we got that performance increase from the wind shear. But then afterwards, we got a decrease. Right. So we're at full power and we are not climbing and we're losing airspeed and we're pointing the nose at the ground, still coming down to the runway. And I was like, oh, oh boy, I hope this turns out good. <laughs> Yeehaw! Full power, <laughs> yeah. nose down. Yeah, nose down. I was like, you know, this is what you do in a small plane. This doesn't happen in a jet. And I was like, oh, boy. And so it, it, that kind of shook me up a little bit, too. I mean, I definitely had an internal sure. rush after sure. that. Yeah. Uh, but what was interesting is that, you know, we, we made that decision to go around and, and you know, just kind of had to go through the whole procedures again and slowly talk through the whole go around. And, and if what we should have done is made the decision to go around earlier. So uh, that was kind of a, a bad decision there. So, yeah. but uh, anyway, so yeah, that was, that was the, the scenario. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't feel bad about going around. No, no. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we were, you know, that's what we were discussing when we, when we cleared the runway, he says to me, it's better to go around than bend the airplane. And that's absolutely right. You know, like, like the sort of the theme of go around is never regret a go around. It's a, it's a tool available to you to remedy a situation that is either not comfortable or not safe or, you know, for any, any number of reasons. Um, so, uh, to, you know, anyway, they, yeah, it was, uh, it was good. It was a good flight. There's two other things I wanted to mention real fast. Obviously, we flew up to Sanford, like I mentioned. The intention, uh, obviously, being to stop in at the uh, cockpit cafe and have breakfast. Um Really cool thing on the on the menu. I didn't actually order it, but my friend Jeff did. He got they had a uh, being Maine, of course. They had a lobster omelet on the menu, so oh, cool. he he got that. He enjoyed it. He thought it was pretty good. So next time I go up there, I might check it out. But um, really, uh, nice cafe. Really super friendly folks there. It's a cockpit cafe, like I set up in Sanford, Maine. Great little airport. Two runways, non-towered. One uh, of those one of those runways is pretty big, because yeah, um, not the one you landed on. I think right. The east west one, I th- yeah, you might be right. I think the two five is the uh, two five might be the longer one. Yeah, and it was, and I think it was lengthened at some point during the first Bush presidency because it's fairly close to where they are. Oh well, there you have right. it. And they had to bring that big, it was some big plane, and I don't sure, know which one. Sure. And so that that airport got an upgrade in that one direction. So mm-hmm. it's pretty. It's one of those runways in a little Cessna that seems to swallow you up. You got plenty. <laughs> you got plenty of room to play with. Right. Well, speaking of plenty of room to play with, if you ever fly into uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Pease International Trade Port, it's like an 11,000-foot, oh, yeah. <laughs> 200-feet-wide airplane. First time I went there was in a 152. Talk about nice. a runway swallowing. You yeah. Know? I've got a nice 12, video. before. It was yeah. Great. I have a nice video um, of, that you can find on, on my site of... Uh, of landing there in in a, in the Cirrus and yeah. it's a beautiful day and yeah you just keep coming down going I'm not down yet yeah right <laughs> the runway's still getting bigger it's too much bloody runway eh? yeah <laughs> what, what's the identifier for that one Papa Sierra Mike Papa Sierra Mike cool yeah it's the one yeah. that's got the pretty funny uh, instrument approach yeah it's uh, there's a, an instrument approach there where the waypoints are I taught I t- I taught I taught a putty tat yeah that's cool <laughs> and then the go around missed the point is I deed <laughs> awesome. yeah it's a fun little airport but uh, and the, and the last little neat bit about flying this bonanza this bonanza that I flew in is actually part of aviation history 
Um, it was used from 1978 to 1998 as the official test bed for TCAS. Um, so this 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 bonanza has a lot of history. The gentleman I flew it with has been flying it. Uh, he flew it for years and years as part of a test bed, and then he purchased it from the folks that were using it. Um, so yeah, it's just a it's a great airplane experience. Uh, you know, a great go around and and a little bit of aviation history there all in the same day, and not to mention a nice omelet for breakfast. So pretty fun cool. day. Pretty fun cool. day. Our picks of the week. Cool. Well, we've been, uh, boy, we've been just chit chatting so long. I haven't noticed the time. We got to move on over here to our picks of the week. So let's just hit it up here and uh, go on over to Rick. Tell us about your pick of the week today, Rick. Yeah. Okay. So this is, uh, I'll be quick with this. This is a uh, Mac app. It's a small little thing, uh, but I, I think it's pretty cool. Um, and it's it's for the Mac OS. So it is an actual computer app and not a um, uh, not an iOS app. And it's just, it's basically a little um, app that puts, uh, your choice of METARs uh, rotating and updated in the um, top menu bar of, of all the windows. You know, I know now there's multiple windows uh, in the Mac OS that I slide between and it's up there. And uh, so you get a quick read on, um, on you know, wh- what the weather is and, and, and what reads out mostly is wind and uh, direction and uh, speed. And then you can click on it to, to read, you know, to go deeper and read more information. And uh, it's available, what I like about it too, is it's available in the App Store, which if you have uh, a Mac, um, what that means is just like on the phones we all have these days, uh, it will tell you when software that you've bought through the Mac right. app store needs to be updated, which is just very cool. It's just the way it should be. And it was never that way with computers. Still isn't for a lot of computers. Um, and it is called. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I got the app store open. I'm ready to got t- a funny type it name. in. Hang on. I got to go down to my menu bar here. Oh, boy. I was going to the app store. Sorry. We're uh, very sorry you don't it's called, have a Mac. It's all air. The all one word is air WX. uh, So air weather air WX dash menu let. So it's a, you know, little menu, mini menu thing up there. And uh, they probably have more than that that they make. But there's lots of METAR readouts. But I like that it's right up there um, out of the way, but visible at all times. So that's it. That's my pick. Oh, yep. There it is. There it is. That's cool. And it's only. It's only ninety nine cents. Yeah, so that's oh, to be honest. Cool. It's only ninety nine cents. So well, that's good. Done. We won't. We I won't. It. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say we didn't break. Uh, we didn't break Carl's bank again here. Oh, today. There you go. He seems <laughs> to always buy something that we talk about. Yeah, that's a good one to just play with. Cool. Um, how about? Well, I'll just go with mine real quick since I was talking a little bit earlier about the GoPro. I don't want to beat a dead horse here. In a previous episode, I talked about the prop filter case that I designed but at that time when I talked about it on the stuck my gavcast I hadn't had the uh, I hadn't had the website available so um, for our pilots and listeners out there that fly with a GoPro you've noticed that you've got those black streaks across the screen from the propeller if you want a case that gets rid of it you can go to the pilotreport.com forward slash stop prop chop and what I've got there for sale is the uh, the case that I'm selling that has a special um, aviation lens attached to it to help get rid of that so it looks just like, you know, you can see right through it. You've seen some of my videos. There's a couple of demonstration videos on that webpage to show you how to do that. I sell it for $79. It's the cheapest one on the market that actually works. And um, I've had a lot of great reviews from it. I've sent one to Australia. I'm about to send one to the United Kingdom. Dave Allen from over at Other People's uh, Airplanes says... Um, in fact, where is that? I asked him the other day. He had something wonderful to say about it. Let me find it real quick because you ne- you always love when people say nice things. 
this is a very cool thing that more and more people are realizing you've done because I see people still going, oh yeah, I'd, I'd like this camera, but <laughs> yeah. it, it has this artifacting and there is there is a way around it, which is a cool trick. So Dave Allen says um, he's flown with, he used it um, in what he thinks was the worst possible conditions for prop shop and the case all but cut it out completely. So the case is a complete winner in my book. That's David Allen from other people's airplanes. Don't tell him I quoted him because he might beat me. But uh, <laughs> he has good, no, he has good things to say about it. And a lot of people do. Um, so anyway, like I said, I didn't have the link when I talked about it before. So I just wanted to mention it again real briefly. Thepilotreport.com forward slash stop prop chop. And uh, I should be working on a fix for the iPhone as well for folks out there. I did get a message today, somebody looking for that. So we're working on it. We'll get it to you out there. So uh, let's move on over to uh, Victoria, your pick of the week. Okay, you've heard me talk about Girls with Wings before. I just wanted to let everyone know out there that they have two scholarships out right now. Uh, the deadline to get to it is June 30th. Um, there's the Private Pilot Scholarship to help defray the cost of flight training lessons towards your private. And then there's also the Dreams Take Flight Scholarship. And that's um, basically to introduce the world of aviation to someone who thinks of a career in there might not have decided to become a pilot or not. It's just a good intro. So um, I think one's $1,000 and the other one's 500 Both uh, great opportunities. And you can find that on uh, girlswithwings.com. Super. And Carl, tell us how to get the edge as a pilot. Oh, gosh. I tell you what, this is... That was corny, I know. That was corny. <laughs> <laughs> that was bad. But, but I tell you, you will get the edge. This is amazing. This product, it's called PilotEdge.net. Now, I'm, I'm making my pick of the week. I can't recommend it yet, but it's my pick because it's my discovery of the week. This is a, a service that allows you to talk to air traffic control while you're using your flight simulator. And you pay for this service, and basically you do everything with an air traffic controller. For instance, get your clearance to taxi, to takeoff, to landing, and they'll be talking to other aircraft on that frequency. What's really neat about this is the fact that these are professional air traffic controllers. The majority are actually air traffic controllers working now or have been working, or what they do is they train these people to become air traffic controllers within this system. And if this thing turns, I'm going to do a, a demo on this and a review of this, and I'm going to spend some weeks on it. And if this turns out to be what I think it is, and from all the videos I've seen and the interviews I've seen in the past about it, this would probably be one of my top picks of the year uh, is pilotedge.net because I would recommend this to all of my instrument students and private pilots because mm -hmm. one of the things that we have problems with is teaching in you know air traffic control and talking to air traffic control in the system. This is live in the system while other people are talking. I saw some cool demos where they made mistakes. The air traffic controllers made mistakes. The pilots made mistakes. It was a real-world environment. It was just terrific. And, and there's nothing better than to have a real-world experience where you're not running an engine and burning either right. jet fuel or, or 100 low lead. Right. And this is the way to do it. So I'll, I'll definitely have a review of this later on. But PilotEdge.net Pilot Edge is the uh, website. Cool. And I just pulled up the website. I wanted to uh, sort of expand upon what you said real quickly, Carl, for 
Uh, you said it's good for flight simulators, but we didn't talk about which ones. I just pulled it up real quickly. It says it's compatible with Microsoft Flight Simulator 2004, Flight Simulator X, X-Plane, or uh, I've never heard of this last one, Lockheed Martin Prepper 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all you need is a headset, broadband, and a membership. They got a 14-day free trial, and then after that, it's nineteen ninety-five a month for unlimited usage. So, for twenty bucks a month, if uh, you know to learn air traffic control, that's that's a pretty good. I'm I'm looking forward to your review. Yes, yeah. yes, I'm excited about it for sure. The after landing checklist. Wonderful. Well, uh, let's wrap it up, uh, Victoria. How can folks get in touch with you? All my contact information is available on my blog, toriaflies.blogspot.com. Carl. You can find all my information at expertaviator.com. And that's the same on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, Expert Aviator. I'm uh, thepilotreport.com, also on Facebook and Twitter. And what about uh, you, Rick? R. Felty on Twitter, R. D. Felty at YouTube, and rotationspeed.com. Fantastic. And like we mentioned in the last show, to get a hold of the podcast, stuckmygavcast.com, stuckmygavcast at Gmail if you want to send us an email. Where it's stuckmygavcast on Facebook, on Twitter, on your iPhone, on your iPod, on your iPad, on your Android. You just can't get away from us. We're everywhere. Check us out, download us. Um, the applications, uh, those mobile applications are free. So we definitely check those out. We love to hear, always love hearing from you guys. We got actually some, some, uh, some listener emails and some questions that we're going to be coming up here in the next couple of shows. So we always appreciate those. From myself, Len Costa, Carl Valeri, Rick Felty, and Victoria Newville, once again, thank you for tuning in. This has been episode number 25 of the Stuck Mike Avcast, and we all wish you guys clear skies and calm winds. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa production.